Hello, Dr. Sharman. How are you? Hi, Chandra. I'm great. Thanks for having me. How My pleasure. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Actually, I so for everyone here that's joining us, we're doing we're gonna do a topic on mood today. Welcome! Here is your hostess and coach, Chandra Zas, helping people make food and mood changes doable without missing out. Go ahead. High five that like button, subscribe and share while you're there. And I thought, thought I would just maybe share a little something about my personal and, and respond to your, how are you? My, uh, my dad died eight years ago. Mm. Yesterday, it's actually technically your today and my, we're actually on different days of the week, but your today and my yesterday. So I've been uh, sitting with a little bit of sadness and just thinking of him and remembering and being with that. So I have a little, a little bit of, but the important sadness, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So my heart's a little bit heavy, a little bit with him and thinking of him and thinking about that time eight years ago, this, you know, it was more than just a day. It's, you know, this is, this is when all of the big feelings came and yeah, that's, that's the, the, the vulnerable, the, the, the dropped in answer of how, how am I? Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, so that you were gonna you were gonna come to my baby shower and you couldn't come because your dad died. Oh, that's right. Crazy. That's totally right. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm in the Dead Sea, floating in the water. Go ahead and like and share and follow so we can keep in touch. So, welcome everybody. Today we're gonna talk a bit about mood and kind of dive into. A lot of what Dr. Sharman's like experience and thoughts are about mood and we'll go kind of go back and forth and dive into like mood. So I'm curious, I'd love to hear from you what your to start us off, like how do you think about mood and specifically how do you see mood affecting health? Yeah, that's a big, 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 big question. But totally, mood is everything, right? Mood is people's motivation to get better. So if I can help people, well, I think, yeah, so motivation, I think, is a big part of mood. Um, I think that really encapsulates a lot of depression and anxiety to be like truly motivated and feel good to like do what you need to do throughout the day and then even maybe do more. So I think of mood a lot with motivation and then just feeling vital. And I think the, the great thing about the type of medicine I practice and then also the confusing part is that it's, it's not just, you know, mood is a one little tiny part. It's this whole encompassing view. So it's like, it's looking at the people's sleep and it's looking at people's blood sugars and it's looking at people's stress and then their food and it's kind of putting it all together and so mood I don't even know if I'm answering the question at this point but <laughs> I just approach mood so differently right it's it's like really the, the whole person's it's what I get it's like how I read their vital energy right if their mood's not good they're not they're not vital and so we have to look at all of those aspects does that kind of answer it <laughs> yeah it is it is a giant question it's such a giant question and it's so what I find so fascinating is like how interconnected it is it's like there's like a circle and you kind of like where do you where do you jump in you know it's like because when we feel bad then we often like 
like what you're saying, we're not motivated and then we're not really investing in ourselves. We're not making healthy food choices. And then we feel worse. And then it just kind of becomes this like cycle, this spinning cycle. And it's like, well, we'll do which, what do you have like a, when you work with clients, do you work or patients, do you start with a specific thing or do you do it like kind of case by case? It's totally case by case. And I kind of, you know, I expect you, you expected that answer, but I look at the, right. I hear, I listen to the person's story. I hear their story and I get these little snippets that help me put the puzzle piece together. Like, you know, an example is, you know, I see, I see women that are anemic all the time. If you're, if you're anemic, then number one, it has a huge effect on people's mental health. They, they're more prone to anxiety and depression. And then also they just like, don't have energy and they, and sometimes it's kind of subclinical anemia. And so they won't necessarily be diagnosed with it. And so like, that's such an easy fix. I get super stoked when I see these little things or thyroid's a little bit off. Those things are so easy to fix and can really help people like gain a little bit more better mood and better motivation. And then that switch goes off and you can go in an upper, upward spiral instead of that downward spiral. I want to, I love what you touched on with the sub subclinical diagnosis, because uh-huh. one of the things that I really love about using alternative medicine or naturopathic doctor medicine versus like Western medicine. And I know that, I, you know, depending on where you guys are all listening at this and what your mindset is, I want to just hone in on this little spot, because what I've found is that oftentimes uh, Western medicine, what their numbers are and their normal ranges and what their diagnoses are are really different than what a naturopathic doctor will look at. So something that Western medicine will say is fine. And I've actually, I, because I have celiac, I have like a low absorption of B vitamins or B12. So I'm kind of always in that little range and Western doctors are always saying that I'm fine. But when I've actually worked with alternative doctors and they're like, Hey, actually this range is kind of low. And if we bump this up, you're going to feel a lot better. So will you talk just a little bit more about that piece? Yeah. Um, I mean, an example I like to use is thyroid and the kind of standard test that is typically run is called a TSH. And that's kind of your hypothalamus communicating with your thyroid. And I like the standard range is like 0.4 to 4.5, something like that. Um, and I work a lot with fertility patients and for, for, for optimal fertility, you want a TSH to be right around, around 1.5. But I never hear kind of what the Western doctors talking about that. And when I think about health, like I want to be, I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to be fertile right now, but I want to be like vital enough to be fertile. And I want all of my patients to be that way. And so if I see a TSH at four, I find people feel like crap like that. And, and for me, that's absolutely a big red flag. Whereas, you know, that's not always the case. And again, like I get excited when I see that because that's an easy fix, right? That's, and people like that because they're like, oh, I get an answer, right? When they, a lot of times feel like people aren't listening, you know, other doctors aren't listening to them. So yes, yeah, so we have like these little tight ranges that we've, that, that have been honed in to be more optimal health. And that's like where you can get that more subclinical diagnosis as if you're kind of within the normal ranges, but you're not within those optimal ranges. So you can be within the normal Western ranges, but not be feeling very well. But then when you get your numbers into the optimal ranges through like a alternative medicine, naturopathic medicine results, then you actually start really feeling that energy and feeling that. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, I mean, like another example is anemia. I see all the time that you're not frankly anemic, your red blood cells aren't showing deficiencies, your iron is fine, but you look at ferritin, which is iron storage, which is not typically run in a, you know, a typical workup. And ferritin levels are hugely important and so many times low in, in especially in menstruating females. Um, and there's even like articles that show that a ferritin below 50, which is complete, I think the normal range is like 17 to 150. And I find that's your medicine. Yeah. And that above 50 is really important for, for women to feel good. And it cannot, it can be like that motivation piece. It could be like, I feel short of breath, or it can even be, I just feel depressed. So it has a huge range of how it makes people feel. So yeah, I get excited. Which is, which is really interesting. I love it. And I love, cause I think we all use these, like how we feel, you know, and like how we feel is such a broad word you know so there's like the actual physiological components which you're really talking about the iron the thyroid because there's a physiological feeling so it's like if we think about I mean I love talking about emotions it's one of my favorite things to talk about but like there's like the emotions of like you know joy or or sadness like there's kind of like the pure emotions that happen from something that like maybe happens in our life that we have thoughts about we have emotions but then there's also that feeling of like, I love what you're bringing in here, like the vitality, the energy levels, the motivation, the, and even the depression and anxiety can be very physiological. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's why I like working with someone like you as well, because I love working on that physiological aspect. And then if, to have optimal physiology, you have to process emotions correctly, right? So it's, it's both of them working in tandem. Yeah. Yeah, the the circle, the the yeah, I love so it's like the way that I see it is that it's like there's the food piece, right? So like if we're eating not optimal food, then there's like the I like to think of like food as like an essence. Food has like an energy, you know. So like there there can be different I had someone like 20 years ago that told me like, you know, you can like run on jet fuel or you can run on regular gas. And that really stuck with me of like, well, wait a minute, I want to eat the food that makes me feel the best, that gives me that energy. But then there's like the emotional component, you know, like if we're not processing our emotions, processing our thoughts, then we can get kind of like, you know, weighed down. And then there's the physiological place, the, mm. the chemicals, the, the hormones, all of this piece that can be, you know, I, I, I love to, I, I think really the optimal thing is to really address all of them at the same time. Is that what you, is that what your like approach is? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, food, food emotions can, are food too, right? So it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> emotions are food too. Do you think about that? Like when in your, in your own life, do you think about like the emotions that you're consuming and the emotions that are going on in your, in your body, mm, in your being? sometimes <laughs> when you remember <laughs> yeah I mean you know I think a lot about my emotions and how they reflect on my family you know and and if I'm consuming that and if I'm what I'm giving off and you know that's we see that mirrored in our family all the time and there's always room for improvement yeah reminds me of my zen teacher saying that like talking about holding onto a hot skillet of anger you know, and like consuming that 
emotion. Like, why wouldn't you put the skillet down? But that letting go of the skillet is a hard thing for a lot of people. Yeah. We use this analogy of like hitting yourself on the, on the head with a hammer. It's like, if you keep doing that and it's painful, why would you keep doing that? So same, same analogy. Mm. Yeah. I, I look a lot of that. Like when you, when we think thoughts that are like, there's something wrong with me. I'm such a bad person. I'm not enough. Like those are like the hammer thoughts that I often find with people. And they're, they're in a lot of our brains. We, a lot of it, we're, a lot of people are hitting themselves in the head with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. Those are easy thoughts. Those are easy thoughts to have. Yeah. I want to also ask you a little bit about the microbiome. So mm-hmm. like the microbiome, like what's your, what do you see how it plays in with mood? Yeah. So yeah. So we kind of talked about like great anemia and that thyroid is important. And then there's the microbiome, which is impacts everything, but the microbiome is especially fascinating because it produces the majority of our neurotransmitters, which like every time I say that, I just have to think of how amazing that really is. We actually outsource. Can, can you explain what that means? Yeah, yeah. Can you explain what that means that our microbiome is creating the majority of our neurotransmitters? Can you break that down yeah. into? So we've actually outsourced a lot of production of vitamins and minerals, like so processing different vitamins, we've outsourced to different bacteria that help synthesize the food products and the byproducts of different vitamins and neurotransmitters that our body makes. So we actually like evolved with them so much that we gave them a lot of that power, which is just wild to think about. And so if we don't have those micro, if we don't have those good bugs, right, we can't make those nutrients, we can't absorb them. And then we can't make a lot of our neurotransmitters like serotonin is a really good, right? That's a a happy neurotransmitter. It helps people sleep. It helps with gut motility, which a lot of people don't know about. Um, And it's made by good bacteria in our gut. So when we think of serotonin, like, and we just give people antidepressants, right? Like that's, I'd rather give them probiotics at first, right? Because then we're at least like addressing some of that core cause. So what, is it fair to conclude from what you're saying is that like, depending on our microbiome and you're, and are you, I'm specified, you're talking about the microbiome in our gut, correct? Specifically to our gut. So depending on the bugs, the microbiome in our gut, it has a huge impact on both how we're absorbing nutrients and getting our vitamins and stuff, and also our feel-good hormones, our feel-good neurotransmitters. Absolutely, yeah. So have you seen people like change the bacteria in their gut and change their mood? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's not always cut and dry. Cause of course I'm looking at the person, right. And I'm giving them iron and all the other things they need. But I mean, you see, you see people change their diet, right. And they immediately feel better. And that's both a byproduct of helping slowly change their microbiome. And then also I lost my train of thought because of that thumb in the corner. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but, um, so it's a byproduct of both like getting more nutrients and then also, you know, changing their microbiome slowly. 
So getting more nutrients both kind of like lifts their mood slash energy. And then also having the, 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 the way I like to think about it is like feeding the happy, the, the friendly bugs. So there's like the unfriendly bugs that kind of like make some kind of like, they both like make the talks, they give, they give off toxins. They make us not feel good, both like physically and emotionally. Those are like what I call the unfriendly guys, the ones that like take over and like make us oh, kind of friendly. feel bad. I mean, to, to, to like say it really simply, they make us feel bad. And then there's like the friendly bugs that actually like make us feel really good. That's like super simple. Yeah, I think it's great though. I think it totally encompasses what I'm trying to say. And then, you know, there's also, there's also the piece that by eating healthier and feeding the friendly, you know, the friendly bugs. And we're also taking away like the inflammation and just like, you know, the crap that we're putting in and, and the digestive unrest, which leads to the inflammation right in our gut. So we're taking, we're removing, you know, the gunk that we're adding as well, which is a huge piece. I think that's actually why people feel better right away when they change their diet, probably more than like microbiome because it takes a little bit more time. And what do you, what do you mean by change their diet? What's, what's the, I mean, I, I have my answer, but like, I'm curious what, like, and, and what's the time frame? like how, how many weeks or, and what's yeah, the diet I mean, that you see is like the, I feel like I put people, like if people, depends on how willing people are, right? What is their motivation level to make those changes? But, you know, if people, if people cut out all their processed food, cut out gluten, I, a lot of times ask people to cut out, cut out gluten, processed food, sugar. A lot of times I'll ask people to cut out dairy and eggs at first, just because many times those are overconsumed and they can be very inflammatory and people feel better right away. Or, and some people, they can't do all those things. Like right away is in like two days. Some people feel better, you know, very quickly. Now, is that, are they gonna feel 100% better? And are they gonna maintain that? No. So that's for the highly motivated people, but there's people who are like, okay, I'll stop eating Jack in the box and their migraines go away. And like, that's pretty cool too. And then they <laughs> still have a lot more cleaning up to do, but that's like, it speaks so highly of how just what we put in that jet fuel or, you know, garbage. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I've like converted many of my friends over the decades into looking at and thinking about how they eat because like so often they're just like, I feel so good after I eat with you, you know, because like I always serve. And for me, like I, I think that one of the biggest things, processed food, sugar, flour is for sure a huge thing. But then I also see the... There's a child. <laughs> awake. <laughs> so what I see with my I've converted like many many friends over the years by like just them having a meal and then being like wow like for one they most of them always say like my poop is so epic you know and then they're like I feel different like it's after even like one good meal like mm -hmm. I notice that it can feel like we can feel a lot better like our energy levels our mood our mm -hmm. yeah yeah and typically I find like people are surprised that they eat less because they feel so much more nourished and truly full. Yeah, that's another interesting total rabbit hole that we can go down is like when we're eating nutrient lacking food, there's like that over desire and over hunger and we're eating more because we're not getting the nutrients that our body is like signaling, hey, we need nutrients, we need good oils, we need all of the, yeah, they're actually less satisfied that they think, yeah, it's a really interesting. 
when it also makes me think of like another avenue when I think of mood, which is also like blood sugar, right? And having like really good healthy blood sugar control, which is like partly based on our stress response and how stressed we are. And then also like how well we're eating, right? And are we eating foods that stabilize our blood sugar? Are we eating lots of simple carbs, lots of white rice and sugary foods, right? That make our blood sugar go like this. And that's huge, right? Like people call it hangry for a reason, right? And that's like both, that's like physiological that we feel that way. Yeah, you're opening up a whole nother like really beautiful can of worms. Yeah, I like a lot of people I work with, like that's one of their big struggles is feeling hangry, you know, in their relationship with food is that they're like, I feel this crazy urgency that I have to eat. Like, and it's one of the favorite places, one of my favorite parts of like working with people is like getting people like in the first part is like getting their blood sugar sugar levels stable really predominantly with using food i actually would love to hear how you work with people with blood sugar levels without food but i primarily work people with using food and then once you get your blood sugar levels like stable then your relationship to hangry doesn't happen anymore and like i but the surprise that i've just decided to disclose in my program is that the next step after like really stabilizing blood sugar levels is actually intermittent fasting and people are like shocked that they're like, I can intermittent fast when I'm not, when my blood sugar levels aren't crazy and I'm not, I actually not hangry. Like people, I've like seen it now, like a number of times people are like, I'm not hangry anymore. Like I don't have that urgency, that physiologically urgency to eat. It's a really freeing moment to like, that's be like, I don't, I was thinking freeing. Yeah. I don't need food. Like that's a, one of the ways I like to, my, and my husband actually brought this word in metabolically flexible, you know, where like, I think so many people are in this place where they have to eat food constantly to feel, to keep their blood sugar levels stable, but then actually getting their blood sugar levels stable with food, then we can actually feel really stable. And then we actually can eat like when it's convenient or when we want to eat, not because we have to eat. Right. And that frees up so much mental space around everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people, I, people often get stuck on like, well, I want to eat, be able to eat whatever I want, which most people are like, I want to eat pizza, I want to eat ice cream, I want to eat the things, you know, that like the indulgences, but like, it gets us stuck in this like loop where we're like, really dependent, and we have to eat and hangry. And how do you how, work with how long <laughs> does it take you to find people change by just changing their diet? How long does it take people to stabilize their blood sugar? in your program typically have you found? What I tell people, and I'm actually really, I, I feel like you're gonna say, agree with me, but what I have seen is that between, it can be between two to six weeks to kind of like what I call like a withdrawal or detox period off of the big uh, glucose spikers, the mostly the flour sugar, sometimes it's also alcohol because that has the, the big glucose spikes. Some, it kind of depends on like, somebody's physiology physiology and it also depends on how much they're consuming <clears throat> excuse me but somewhere between two to six weeks six weeks is not very common I would say more like two weeks is more like the normal range but is that what you also see I don't know that I've tracked it as much as you have but I you know I typically give some sort of either there's lots of supplements that help with it so a lot of times you know, like insoluble fiber can really help with that, um, as can different herbs like gymnema, right, is like a really classic one. Um, and so there's like some really good combination products I use that, that help 
and people feel immediately feel better. I would bet that the, I'm curious if the insoluble fiber, it kind of helps slow down the processing of the sugar. Like I'm guessing it's like kind of like related to like orange juice versus oranges, like orange juice, you don't have any yeah. of the fiber. So you get the crazy insulin spike or glucose spike. And with yeah, oranges, it's you have the exactly fiber. the reason why people feel better in, in your program partially, right? Is that they're eating better and they're getting more, yeah, that whole complex that absorbs those sugars, yeah. The glucose aren't the glucose isn't going crazy and the mood is like the energy the energy levels the mood it's interesting to like there's it's energy emotion like it's this is so can cool. we talk, it's yeah so when so yeah genema is one of my favorite things especially for blood sugar stuff it's like really really helpful are there any so insoluble fiber genema that's kind of like your go-to for helping people stay and then diet you food yeah, and eating regularly, getting people on some sort of schedule, I find helps. And then of course, like making sure they're sleeping and right, all the other things, right? Because that's really important as well. Because I find blood sugar also has to do with cortisol, which is stress hormone, which is related to like sleeping good and having energy and having these like normal wake and sleep cycles and then eating regularly. So those all play into it as well. Yeah, routine and regularity is so important for our brain, both for all of our hormones and our sleep. I also was listening to this podcast talking about how when we don't sleep well, where our hunger hormones actually go up. So we actually are more hungry and we're more hungry often for like, and our blood sugar levels are low. So then what we often do when we don't sleep well is we eat more and we eat more sugar the next day, which then like continues that like makes, I mean, that makes sense with how I feel when I don't sleep well. hundred <laughs> percent. Me too. Feel a little acidic, feel a little like I just want some comfort foods. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Anything I actually, I would love to, do you have any more, anything else in particular? I have one more question, unless you have something else you want to no, touch on or. So I'm curious what one of your personal practices is of like stabilizing like your mood like how do you what's what's something you do that you love that helps you take care of your mood hmm. that is a good question there's so I there's like a quote in my kids principal's office that says and they have it and it's, it's this like beautiful watercolor and it just says there's always something right hmm. there's always something going right and just kind of remembering that and trying to see that in every moment and ch just to chill out about the, all the things that really don't matter and you know sometimes I'm better at having that perspective than others but that helps put me in a good, good mood right like laughing I don't know kids do the darndest things right I mean just trying to laugh it off and and not just not get so upset about it, right? I don't need to go to zero to 10. You just go to zero to one and laugh at it and say, you know what, we'll laugh about this when you're, when you're older. Or, you know, my, small failures, you know, small failures in my life and just saying, you know what, this is what builds confidence, you know, turning it like you've kind of coached people, right? Turning it to the positive and say, you know, I can do hard things. Nice. I love that you bring that piece in. I like, I find that so, so such a common thought that our brain likes to think is like something's gone wrong. And what I like to offer is the question, like, what if nothing's gone wrong? Which is like another spin off of your quote 
on the principles. Something, what is it? Something's always gone right. Is that what the quote was? Yes. Yeah, so something is always going right. Something so, is always something like right. that. Yeah. It's probably more eloquent, but yeah. <sighs> it just helps us like breathe a little easier. It's amazing how those thoughts like create all those feelings and can I ask you one more question? I is it? Do you have another yeah. few minutes to do it? Because you just you just mentioned kids, and I just realized that we didn't talk at all about kids and their moods, and we could even bring in their blood sugar levels. What do you recommend? What do you do for your kids to help them stabilize and their moods and feel good? And like, what's? Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, trying to feed them as healthy as possible, which is not always easy. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of routine. You know, I think having, having routine for them is huge and stabilizing. And then, so those, and then just having lots of space and like loving kindness around the fact that they do have really, like it, part of being a child is having these like intense emotions. And I think a lot of times we might expect too much out of them in many ways and just like letting them have a, a lot of space and like downtime. You know, my, my eight-year-old does not need to be in 20 different things, right? He just need to be in like 20 different extracurricular activities. And, and just reminding myself of that because I can be a type A person and want to do all those things and want my kids to do all those things. And just, they have a long life ahead of them. So just trying to, just, I don't know. And I, I think that my anxiety levels around that are my need to push them really helps. If I can take that away and just let them be, let them be kids, right? They're, they're only gonna be able to like, I don't know, walk in circles happily for an hour <laughs> for not that long. So let them do that. I love this concept that you're touching on. I think this is like, well, what the words I kind of use is like doing less and living more and that like space to play and imagine and to be a mess and to, to do less is actually, I, I think one of the, the best things that we can do for our mood, you know, is to, I even think about it in a way of like letting ourselves process. Like, I think we all have like, we need to process our emotions and process whatever's going on in our life at school for the kids or, and having that time to process and be and kind of like go through it versus like always going on to the next thing and just kind of always inputting, always inputting, but like letting us wind down and be and, and process and that it really helps. Yeah, you, I feel like you took my jar mold. <laughs> <laughs> so eloquent. The other thing that's popping up for me is as uh, one of my friends who's a, a early childhood educator, he talks a lot about the nervous system and how kids' nervous systems aren't totally closed. Like they're they really depend on adults and the big people around them to kind of like ground their nervous system. So I love what you're bringing in about just kind of like your energy and how you are with your kids as part of a way that you help them, you know, stabilize their moods and, and feel, feel good. Or I wouldn't like, I, I, I don't like to use the word feel good, feel, you know, like I think feeling is like one of the most important things and kids can have such like big emotions, yeah. you know, they can, like, I, I really love learning from kids in this way that like kids, like their brains, they're in their primal brain. They don't have their prefrontal cortex. They're not really able to regulate themselves really well. Like that is a kid, right? 
So like, but if you let them have their emotions, you let them like welcome them to have their sadness or welcome them to have whatever, you know, like, oh, I can't have this one thing that I really want and like really let them have it. It's over in like a minute, you know, like all of our emotions, they can, they can pass really quick and like allowing them to pass, allowing them to feel it and stuff. It's like really emotionally helpful. Okay, I know it's late for you. Thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate you being here and talking with me about all this mood and health and kids and family and all the good stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharman. My pleasure. Nice. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, totally my pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and I'll see you next time. Have a beautiful day and a beautiful week. Thank you.